0: This podcast contains adult content. Some of the themes or topics may include information on murder, kidnapping, torture, dismemberment, maybe some demonic content with information on positions and paranormal activity. This podcast will also include explicit horrible and foul, socially unacceptable, totally uninhibited, adult themes language. So if you're easily offended... If you're easily triggered... Then I highly suggest you turn this off now, and if not, just keep in mind... Parental discretion is advised. Welcome, welcome back to another episode of Mysterious Circumstances. This is Mad Sam. This is Mad Sam Part 2. And before we get going, I do have to thank some new Patreon subscribers. We have Mark, Blue Rock 85. Jana and stephanie thank you guys so much i hope you are enjoying that backlog of content for those of you patreon subscribers who noticed i took away the five and ten dollar tiers it will only be a two dollar tier from now on uh it'll be one less episode a month but you know what i think it'll be a little bit more affordable for everybody so it all works out in the end and I also do have two more episodes to post for the month of June. Sorry, those are behind. Sometimes I get behind. I have a real life like everybody else. They will be up, as you longtime subscribers know. Before we get going, let's name off some sources. We got newspapers.com, a mafia documentary, which can be found on YouTube. We have crimemagazine.com and... A lot of information from Arthur Bilek, who is a retired chief of the Cook County Police. Also, the organized crime report from the cops, which they used to do. Um, I don't know if they still do, but they used to do when the outfit was huge in Chicago. So, I suppose with all that behind us, let's go ahead and get on with the show. Alright, so if you didn't learn anything from part one, Mad Sam is crazy as shit. In 1962, he gets arrested after he tried to represent a buddy of his named Vito Sakaganini in a forgery trial in Rockford, Illinois. On top of that, he later demanded the names of all employees in the state's attorneys and sheriff's offices so that they could be called as witnesses for his trial. Obviously, that did not happen. You don't want to give Mad Sam a list of witnesses in a trial for one of his buddies. Not a good idea. We also have another story from Frank Collada, who was a hitman for the Mafia. I had previously mentioned in Part 1. In fall of 1963, they go to a steakhouse in the north side of Chicago and they see some other gangsters. You know, they acknowledge each other's presence and go on with their shit and frank notices that sam is talking to a young woman at the bar all of the sudden without any kind of warning he grabs her by the hair and he starts dragging her towards the bathroom and she starts screaming and yelling and then he proceeds to rape her in that bathroom in a fucking bar full of people frank gets up to go get sam The other guy that is with him tells Frank to just mind his own fucking business. And nobody else at the bar even acknowledged what happened. And the girl comes out of the bathroom. She's screaming and crying. She goes back to the bar and she never called the cops. I'm pretty sure that is a testament to how feared and fucking crazy Mad Sam was, as we found out in part one. And it just gets a little bit worse, you know, as we go. In November of 1963, Sam goes to see one of his crew members, a guy named Leo Foreman. He's a real estate agent, but he's also a juice loan collector. And he lent out money for Sam on the side, and he would give loans to people for like houses and cars and stuff like that. And Sam had a violent argument with Leo Foreman in his office. Foreman was coming up short on payments back to Sam. So Sam gets kicked out of Leo Foreman's office, like physically gets kicked out, and then Leo Foreman goes into hiding, and Sam is irate, and he decides to kill him. So later on, a couple of Mad Sam's little crew members, a guy named Tony Spilatro and Chuck Cromaldi, they contacted Foreman and said that uh, Mad Sam wanted to let bygones be bygones. So on November 14th, Leo Foreman was lured to Mario's house, who is Sam's brother, and he was taken down to the basement. The four guys jumped him, and they just started beating him real, real bad. They took a hammer to his head, knees, and groin area, and then Sam stabbed him about 20 times with an ice pick. After Sam was satisfied with the torture, he shot him in the head. Four days later, on November 18th, Leo's body was found in the trunk of an abandoned car. Like I said, man, this dude is nuts. He was so violent that he had a lot of respect on the streets, but he was also extremely violent at home with his wife. Here's a story about him getting mad at his wife. They got into an argument or she had done something. We don't know the details. So basically he walks outside of his house after this argument and he sees this guy close to his house who's waiting for a bus. Sam kidnaps this guy, takes him back to his house and to punish his wife, he forces both of them at gunpoint to have sex literally forces his wife to have sex with this random guy at gunpoint. After which, he ended up letting the guy go, and the dude goes straight to the cops. And he tells him what happened, and the cops did not believe him. They're like, there is no fucking way this happened. And the guy says, my lunchbox is still in his Cadillac. He kidnapped me. You know what came of that? Absolutely nothing. Because Mad Sam had that pull... He was very intimidating and people feared him, and he also paid good money to uh, corrupt politicians and cops. So, during another court date in Rockford, he was serving as his own lawyer, which is what he usually did. And he confused everybody in the courtroom when he approached the jury and asked, Have you ever seen an elephant? Just a few minutes later, Sam suddenly changed his plea to guilty. And he told the jury, something had come to light that I had not known before. Alright, so the jury found him guilty and fined him $100 for disorderly conduct. Another story is that he would often say it was a dream in his life to own a pig farm so that he could feed his victims to the pigs. He would drive around to pig farms just to watch them for hours. And according to one of his hitmen, who ended up turning informant, Charles Cremaldi. Mad Sam once forced his wife, Anita, to take his gun and put the end of the barrel in her mouth, then demanded her to pull the trigger. When she pulled the trigger and the gun did not go off, Sam began to laugh uncontrollably and told her he had taken out all the bullets. And when he would tell his friends in the mob and the associates, this story he would just start laughing because he thought it was the funniest thing ever another story was one of sam's partners in the drug dealing business was a rogue and corrupt cop named tommy dorso dorso once said he saw mad sam roll on the floor with spit running out of his mouth begging satan to show him mercy and screaming over and over again i'm your servant command me So he was convinced that Mad Sam was a devil worshiper. Another informant who was really close to Sam described him as a highly emotional, temperamental individual who was extremely egotistical and concerned with his personal appearance. The walls of Sam's home was lined with mirrors, and as he talked to people, or walked across the room, he would constantly watch himself in these mirrors. He was described as being so temperamental that he would be crying at one moment and laughing within a second's notice. And he would often claim that if he had not been framed for rape at the age of 17, he would have become President of the United States. And again, this is why we call him Mad Sam, because dude's out of his mind. So moving forward, March 1964, the FBI opens a case against him. Everyone on the streets had been talking about him for years, and he was never a made member of the mob, but he was a higher up, and he was very, very notorious. So after this case started uh, getting built, anytime something happened in the neighborhood, Sam would get called in for questioning by the FBI. Sam did not give a shit. He would walk in there and just start laughing uncontrollably, mock them, make fun of them, and it was whatever. A couple months later in May of 1964, Chicago police finally pinned something on him they found out that Sam and six other members of his crew were in violation of election laws that prohibited felons from voting. So this propelled Sam into the spotlight and he absolutely loved it. On May 4th, 1964, Sam has a court date. He shows up in his pajamas and he's wheeled in on a gurney. In court, Sam told the judge he was representing himself and his brother Mario. The judge refused his request, and Sam started flipping out. Starts yelling, screaming, the judge tells him to be quiet, and Sam said, I'll show you how quiet I can be. And he reached under his gurney blanket, and he had a fucking bullhorn that he pulled out. And he started talking to the judge through the bullhorn. So the court holds him in contempt. They had cops drag him out to the, like the lockup, the hospital lockup that was outside. And every time he showed up in court after that, he was always doing crazy shit. And the newspapers and the TV news absolutely loved it. It's the same way today. You know what I mean? You get that headline or that person and it's like clickbait. They just want you to click on the fucking link because it gets attention, you know, da-da-da-da. And it was no different back then. So in mid-1964, all right, he's still going to court appearances, but he's also still enforcing his loans on the street. And one of his enforcers got greedy, and it was a guy named Peter Capaletti. He was a collector for Mad Sam, and he had fled Chicago with $25,000 from a loan shark victim and never gave it to Sam. He left town and he went to Milwaukee, Wisconsin. So Sam, Mario, and Cromaldi, they go drive to Milwaukee, and they found him, and they beat his ass, and they put him in the trunk of the car, and they bring him back to Chicago. The whole time they're riding back, This dude was begging for his life. Then the reason we know this is because Charles Cremaldi ended up turning. Like he ended up becoming a snitch for the state, for the feds. So we have a lot of this inside information. So they end up taking uh, Capoletti to Mario's restaurant in Cicero. Mad Sam, his brother Mario, Charles Cremaldi, and a guy named Sam Gallo. They stripped Capaletti naked, and they chained him to a hot radiator in the basement. Over the next 75 hours, Capaletti was brutally kicked, beaten, urinated on, and tortured. This whole time, Capaletti is begging for his life, and he promised to pay double what he stole, which would have been $50,000, and Sam accepted that offer. But he was not done with the torture and humiliation yet. On the night of the third day, Mad Sam decided to have a party at the restaurant where he was being held. Then he calls Capaletti's family and invited them to a huge, luxurious dinner in his honor. The invitation list included Capaletti's family, judge, politicians, police officers, and several of Mad Sam's friends. So that Saturday, the whole family of Capoletti turned up at Mario's place and were given a multi-course Italian dinner. The guest of honor was not there at the table, but Sam assured the family that he would be joining them soon. And while this banquet is going on, Capoletti is being tortured in the basement of the restaurant. So after dinner, Sam gets up and he makes a speech in front of the group telling about how Capaletti had stolen money from him and what a big heart he had because he's going to let him live. So as he was getting done, Crimaldi, Gallo, and Mario went down to the basement. They gave Capaletti another beating and then all three of them took a piss on this guy. Mad Sam comes down and he's chained to a radiator for three days. So he's sitting here saying, kill me, man. Just please just kill me. I'm on fire. And Mad Sam says, well, I guess we need to put the fire out. So he had his men tie him to a chair and they dragged him into the dining area in front of his mother and wife. He was naked, burned, beaten, bloodied, and he was dripping with urine. Mad Sam looks at this dude's mom and his wife and said, you ought to thank me that he's still living. And depending on which story you believe, because there's two different versions, Capaletti got pissed on. One side of the story says that Mad Sam forced Capaletti's family to piss on him. And then the other side of the story is that Sam himself pulled out his dick, started urinating on him. Either way, the outcome was the same. Now, following the banquet, the family paid back the $50,000 the next week. At this stage, the other mob bosses, the higher-ups, they started seeing the problem. They're like, we can't control this guy. He's crazy. He's out of his mind. Because you had no idea what he was going to do next. And that is not a good thing for the outfit, the mafia, anything like that. Now, moving forward to November of 1964, Sam is back in court. After a three-week trial, the jury can't make a decision, and the judge declared a mistrial. And Sam ends up being convicted for contempt of court three separate times, and the judge sentenced him to one year for each contempt charge, which would have totaled three years. So he goes to prison. Now when he gets out, he goes right back to working his rackets on the street. But by this time the FBI had gotten one of his crew to flip and that was Charles Cremaldi. And Cremaldi's telling them all about these murders and kidnappings and everything else Sam had done. He told the feds about the murder of Leo Foreman because he was there. So the feds are building a really really strong case. And by the early 1970s they actually have a case. The outfit notices that and they start stepping away from him. But the media is still on him because he's just so crazy to watch. He makes for good TV, makes for good news articles because people want to see what Mad Sam is going to do or say. And he's attracting attention the wrong way. And the outfit is again noticing that. So on February 22nd, 1972... Mad Sam is sentenced to three and a half years in prison for threatening the life of a witness. That witness was Charles Cremaldi. Apparently, Sam had ran into him in an elevator of the Chicago Federal Building and threatened his life. About six months later, in August of 1972, Sam, Mario, and Tony Spilatro are all arrested for the murder of Leo Foreman. And of course, Mad Sam being Mad Sam, he would go into court, he would start screaming at his lawyers, and he would just call everybody stupid, just as loud as possible. And then the media questioned him about his brother Mario, and he flew into this crazy rage. And here's what he said on TV about it. I don't like it when you touch my brother. Don't look cross-eyed at my brother. Then I became what they call a raving man again. Do I make myself clear? Abuse me, do what you want, slap me in the face, and I won't say nothing. But don't you pick on my family. Now, the outfit knew he was wild. They knew he was crazy. And at first, they loved that because they are like, this guy is going to do anything we say. And then they started realizing we cannot control this guy. And they wondered what he would do If he was faced with a lifetime in prison and they figured if he was convicted, he would probably cooperate. So in September of 1972, Mad Sam was indicted on federal charges for illegal possession of firearms by a felon. As in all the other trials before... Mad Sam had raised a large amount of public interest with his crazy and bizarre behavior, and he made demands to represent himself again. He would dress in his pajamas, he would shout through bullhorns, and he would just ramble incoherently. When the Foreman trial started, he started doing that same kind of shit. So a month later in 1972, Paul Rica dies. Now, if you remember from part one, Paul Rica is the guy who brought him into the outfit. He is the guy who mentored him. This was his protector. The outfit bosses began to worry that Mad Sam was not only jeopardizing his own defense, but also the defenses of his other crew members. So, in April of 1973, in a secret meeting, the boss of the Chicago Outfit, who was Tony Accardo, Gave Mad Sam's crew permission to kill him. He had to go. The contract went to the only person who could get close to Sam. And that was his brother Mario. So what Mario does is he tells Sam that he had found out where Cromaldi was. Cromaldi was a snitch. Mad Sam wanted this dude dead like no other. So on April 14th, 1973... It is presumed that Mad Sam was to have met with his brother Mario and another associate Tony Spilatro in the garage of his home. What they told Sam was that they were going to pick him up and they were going to go to the Cremaldi safe house. So before this meeting began at about 10:30 a.m. a car pulls into Sam's driveway and Mario gets out first then Tony Spilatro And Spallatro hid behind Mario until he could get the shotgun up. And then Mario just kind of stepped to the side. And he shot Mad Sam twice with a shotgun. The first shot hit him, tearing his left arm off at the elbow. The second one got him straight in the chest, and Mad Sam died instantly. And ironically enough, the murderer was never brought to trial. And Mad Sam was buried at Queen of Heaven Cemetery in Hillside, Illinois. And wouldn't it just be ironic if they would just let people, you know, go piss on Mad Sam's grave? Wouldn't that be ironic? I think they should do that because this dude was a fucking horrible person, you know. But uh, here's what a couple people had to say about him. Uh, we have Frank Collada and Arthur Bilek, who was the uh, chief of the Cook County Sheriff's Office. I would consider his legacy as being a moron, a maniac, a degenerate. He didn't leave much of anything good as far as a legacy behind. He was loud. He was maniacal. He was unlike any of the people of his time and any of the people since then. He was one of a kind. He was an evil monster. And as you can see, he was not the type of guy who was going to be missed. So, there you have part two. I know these two episodes were fairly short, but it was just weird because um, there's a lot of stories out there. And it's hard getting what's actual fact and what's not. uh, Because there's so many different versions of shit. But anyway... I hope you guys enjoyed the series. we got more stuff coming up, including a good paranormal episode. I was lucky enough to stay at the Indiana State Sanatorium a few weeks ago, and uh, I got a bunch of audio. If you're a paranormal fan, you guys are going to love this. You're not going to be disappointed. So I got that coming up. I also have uh, Tom Colbert the Case Breakers talking about D.B. Cooper coming up. Ways you can get a hold of me, you can follow me on Instagram at Mysterious Underscore Podcast. You can join the Facebook group. Just type in Mysterious Circumstances Podcast. You'll find it. I'm on Twitter at PodcastMC. I'm also on TikTok and my personal Instagram. Both are at BurnItAll13. You can also email me, justin.mcpodcast at gmail.com. If you want to join Patreon, might be interested in that. You can check out all the episodes we got there. There are well over a 100 at this point. Go to patreon.com slash mysterious circumstances. I suppose that's about all I got for you for now. See you folks on the flip side.